Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. Over the past few months, the arrival of ChatGPT has turned up the spotlight on artificial intelligence to a new level. My guest today has been working in the world of industrial sector AI for years. He's both a domain expert and an entrepreneur. And he's here to talk about why we need both the IIoT data that's coming off assembly lines and the knowledge of machine operators and those on the shop floor to build an effective AI model. Let me introduce him. With a career spanning four decades, Christopher Wetton's tech bona fides are second to none. Since fleeing Vietnam in 1978, this multiple-time tech founders played key roles in everything from building the first flash memory transistors at Intel to spearheading the development of Google Apps as its first engineering director. Today, he's become an outspoken proponent of the emerging field of AI engineering and a thought leader in the space of ethical, human-centric AI. With his latest company, Itematic, He's hoping to redefine how companies approach AI in the context of life-critical industrial applications. Christopher, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you here. And I think, you know, in general, this topic of AI has just been everywhere in recent months, as, as you know. So I'm excited to be having this conversation, and, and particularly in the context of AI inside of manufacturing or industry. So... Excited to dive into it. Absolutely. Well, Christopher, you told me recently that there are sort of two schools of thought on AI. One, data-driven, and two, knowledge-driven. Can you tell us the difference and which camp you fall into? Sure. And, and before I get into it, it's not all or nothing, right? We all use a bit of data and a bit of knowledge in machine learning slash AI there's a distinct, you know, sort of two distributions, those that are almost exclusively or very primarily about getting more data, getting better data, and those that say, hey, we have a lot of domain knowledge here, Let, let's leverage that. I certainly fall into the second camp, and it's not so much about whether one is correct or the other is, is wrong, but you realize that when you work in the digital domain versus the physical domain, it's just like a tool, right? You've got a hammer and a screwdriver. You say, which one is better? Well, what do you need to do? In the digital domain, where my former employer at Google and other companies in the domain like Facebook, Twitter, and so on, the traffic is really mostly digital, right? Digital in, digital process, digital out, and so on. And so in that context, you have a lot of data. And that really is the conversation when people talk about AI today, right? Big data and machine data and so on. My previous company was acquired by Panasonic, and I helped run the global AI team there at, at Panasonic. I learned very quickly that that approach, that pure data approach, or that mostly data approach, fails very quickly. You run into this so-called data wall. And it took me a long time 
But now we've, we've realized what the real underlying mechanics of that are, and that is it's the physical world, right? A company like Panasonic, Intel, Micron, Semitech, and, and TSMC, and so on. These, these companies deal in physical atoms. And in that world, automotive safety, avionics, and so on, you really care about human safety, and you don't have a lot of opportunities to actually collect failures, right? Clicking on the wrong ads happen a billion times a day. You hope the number of car accidents is not happening at the same rate. And so you have to leverage something else that is not in the, available in the data. And that turns out to be domain knowledge or human expertise. So the company that I'm building, Itomatic, is all about helping industrial companies solve AI problems or solve problems using AI that takes advantage of their domain expertise that they've accumulated over many decades. A great setup there. You used a fishing analogy in our previous conversation that I thought was kind of helpful to take this conceptual thing and bring it back down to earth in terms of data-driven versus knowledge-driven AI. I think it might be helpful for you to share that or something similar with, with our audience, if you don't mind. Yeah. One of the industries we're in is, is fishery. There's a company called Furuno, and most of your listeners may not recognize the name right away, but you go to any marina in the U.S., and you look at the masts on the boats, you will quickly find that the navigation system is, I would say, about at least 60 to 70% market share is, is Furuno. So they're very big in, in marine and, and fishing and navigation and, and so on. One of the use cases I think that we, we may have talked about is fish classification or fish identification. So there's a device that they make. It's a sonar beam, sound wave, very much like submarines, right? Instead of sending a ping to maybe an enemy ship, it sends it straight down to the ocean, an echo comes back, right? There's a sensor that catches that and it outputs it in a visual, what's something called an echogram. Now, you and I as amateurs looking at that, we won't make any sense out of it, right? <laughs> it's more challenging to look at than even an ultrasound of a, of a baby. But an experienced fisherman can look at that and say, hey, that's clearly a school of mackerel, right? And so from a machine learning perspective, so what, what Furuno wants to do is Instead of having this be the domain of only the expert fishermen, how about you implement a machine learning algorithm, an AI algorithm that can convert that image into names of fish, even images of fish, so that folks like you and I can go catch. The challenge with a pure machine learning approach to that, that would be a field called computer vision, right? You would look at that image and it doesn't contain everything that's going on inside the fisherman's head. As a very simple example, it's not always this simple, but you know, I want to use a sort of a common sense example. The echogram may indicate something that looks like either mackerel or sardine. Let's say the, the, the signature looks very similar. But the fisherman knows that he's currently in Hokkaido and it's November and there is no sardine. And so that knowledge is not in that image. That knowledge is outside of that image. Now you can think about, okay, I can probably condition that as a machine learning problem. But what about the knowledge of 150,000 other fishermen, which is essentially what that project is about, right? Accumulated by region, by age, by expertise, by time of day, by time of year, and so on. All of that becomes a non-data machine learning problem, but it becomes a very much a human knowledge management problem. And what's interesting is I've been talking about this for a long time because we had to deal with a lot of these things while we were part of Panasonic five, six years ago. ChatGPT has made the explanation a lot simpler. People can now kind of relate, okay, 
All right. I can see how knowledge can get into models now. When I was talking about it before, people were saying, oh, you're building expert systems of 20 years ago. I said, no, no, no. We have new technology today that can help translate the unstructured knowledge from these domain experts into structured form that we can then build systems around. Yeah, I want to come back around to the the chat GPT thing. We can't leave this conversation without at least going there for a moment and how that sort of impacted your world. But no, I appreciate the the fishing example and talking practical manufacturing or I have a lot of listeners here who are either OEMs manufacturing a product or maybe they're contract manufacturers and are manufacturing parts somewhere along the supply chain. And I'd be curious to hear like where are some places along a manufacturing production line or or just in the typical manufacturers operations where they might be able to apply, you know, kind of knowledge-based AI? The first things that people can think of in manufacturing is, of course, defect reduction, right? On the assembly line itself, defect detection, defect reduction, and, and so on. But a lot of conversations that we've had in the manufacturing sector have gotten quite interesting in that people care about not just, take an equipment maker. They are not directly involved in the process of making things. It's their customers that do that. But they're very interested in the behavior of their equipment that helps make things. And so they're concerned not just in the process of making the equipment, but also the behavior of the equipment out in the field. So you can think of that as almost like a product management endeavor, right? And then you take semiconductor as part of that manufacturing subset, the process development out in the field, as well as while they're making the tool. A lot of that is also optimizing. In semiconductor, people like to say there's science, there's engineering, there's art, and then there's voodoo. There's a little bit of all of that, right? Imagine having to lay down 10 layers of atoms across an entire wafer surface of 12 inches consistently. You can't get away with not having somehow incorporated the expert knowledge of the people that know the chemistry, the physics, and the equipment itself. On the assembly line, coming back to the defect reduction example or area, we talked to some folks that, for example, they make things as seemingly as simple as car seats, right, coming down the assembly line. And there are now a lot of electrical connectors that have to be made, whether by machine or by humans, and just being able to count or, or detect that connections were not made properly and say, hey, take that seat off the assembly line or something, fixing it. The ability to emulate human expertise, right? You and I as humans, we can look up at, at the seat and say, hey, that, that doesn't look right. But how to encode that in a machine learning model requires a lot of human domain expertise. I go back to the example where you say, well, the reason that I think that is not a good connection because I know Christopher is up the assembly line and he, he has a high defect rate, right? It's not what I'm looking at in the computer vision model itself. It's, it's other ambient information. These are examples where domain expertise, the, the people who have been on the assembly line in a long time, right? And, and some of them are experts in tooling and machining, but some of them are just experts in the assembly line. That is a vast amount of resource, valuable resource that most machine learning, data-driven machine learning does not consider. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And by the way, you know, the challenge is that the opportunity of the challenge, you know, manufacturing is coming back to the U.S., as you know particularly advanced manufacturing. And for 20 years, we haven't been doing this. So the number of experts that we have are dwindling in numbers as well. So I think it's, it's a quite an urgent matter to try to capture that expertise before it's gone forever. 
Where does Idomatic, your company, sort of fit into the picture here? Talk a little bit about where you are in this world. Yeah, we provide the software that makes everything that I just talked about possible. We don't have the domain expertise ourselves. That is our customers. And they know they've tried and failed. The best conversations are not with folks that say, you know, I'm thinking about applying AI. The best conversations are people with people that have actually tried it and say somehow it doesn't work. And then often they blame themselves. They say, well, we're probably not, we don't have the right people. We don't know the stuff that folks in Silicon Valley knows and, and so on. But it turns out, like I said earlier, the techniques that are coming from quote unquote Silicon Valley, the echo chamber, tends to work more for the digital industry. So our software is serving those people and say, no, no, you're not crazy. What you're missing is the IoT data that is coming off your assembly line does not contain everything that you need. It's in your head. And here's a software that you can speak to or you can type to, right, into. You can collect all of that knowledge, translate it from what's in your head into a structured form. And then from that structured form, we can combine it with the data and help you build better models than the data alone approach. Okay, let's take a quick break here. I want to let a couple of our strategists at Gorilla76 tell you about something pretty cool that we're doing right now for marketing folks in the manufacturing sector. Peyton and Mary, take it away. Yes, so I'm Peyton Warren. And I'm Mary Keough. Twice a month, we host a live event called Industrial Marketing Live. Right now, we have a group of 50-plus industrial marketers from a variety of manufacturing organizations. We meet up digitally to learn, ask questions, network, and get smarter. Every session has a designated topic, and one of our team members at Gorilla76 opens up by teaching for the first half hour or so. Topics have included how to get better at a manufacturing webinar, getting started with paid social on LinkedIn, how to optimize your website for conversions, creating amazing video content, and so much more. After we break it down, we open it up to Q&A so we can help you apply all of this in your own businesses. This is pure value. No cost, no strings attached, no product or service pitches, just a 100% unadulterated learning experience. Oh, and on top of these live sessions, we've also opened up a Slack channel where our attendees bounce ideas off each other and learn together all week long between sessions. We're building a true community of manufacturing marketing professionals here. So if you or someone at your company has the word marketing in his or her job title, please consider telling them about it. They can visit industrialmarketinglive.com to register. We'd love to see you there. Well, Christopher, let's come back to ChatGPT here. You know, it's been obviously all over the press for, you know, we're recording this right now in early March of 2023, and it's been kind of in the headlines like crazy over the last few months. Just kind of curious about how is all the press about this tool and others like it impacted what you're doing? Is it put a, a positive or negative spotlight on you? Is it, I think you kind of hinted earlier at the fact that maybe it's providing a little context for AI, but I'm just kind of curious to hear what, what your reaction to all that has been. That's a great question. And we're still digesting the impact. I have anecdotally seen both helpful and unhelpful things coming out of this awareness. Obviously the helpful things is what I mentioned We've been working with these so-called large language models for some time to provide exactly these capabilities, right? The translational capability. And now when you talk to people and you talk about very advanced techniques, 
when it's hard for them to imagine, at least at least at the surface, how they become very skeptical, right? Because the bridge has to be built. It's kind of like trying to explain something to me. That sounds too much like magic. It can't be too magical, right? And now it seems, okay, okay. I don't know still how you do it, but I understand the concept. I can see how a machine could have some understanding of what I'm saying. And so that abrupt change, thanks to the release of ChatGPT, has been helpful. It's been also unhelpful because now it's taking all the oxygen out of the room. People incorrectly think that, okay, all I need to do is install ChatGPT and it's going to solve all my problems. And that's very far from the truth. And I think people are starting to slowly to realize, okay, okay, now, now I can see what it can do and I can see it doesn't do, right? And so what it does is the first half of what I described it does the translation from unstructured. Our conversations are essentially very unstructured form, right? But a database is very structured, different fields, different columns, and so on. So it's very good at that understanding the unstructured form and then translate into structured form. But once you have that structure, you still need very formal architectures to combine the knowledge stream with the data stream. And then you need, still need to be able to put that into production. Right, that half is still very much necessary. ChatGPT doesn't do that for you. In fact, people have, have observed that it, it's very happily saying things that are completely wrong, very confidently. Right, it has these alternate realities and so on. So the second half of selecting the right structured form and putting into an example I gave earlier: how do you combine that fisherman's knowledge that there is no macro in Hokkaido in November? with the fact that the computer vision model is saying it may be macro, right? How do you combine that? It's not the domain of chat GPT, it's the domain of software engineering, of AI engineering and so on. Yeah, that, that makes plenty of sense. Christopher, what are some of the ways that you believe AI is going to impact the future of manufacturing over the course of the next decade or so? Hmm. Well, I think it's easy to say it's going to be profound. I can give you some examples relating back to the equipment manufacturer and the actual maker of things, right? They have this collaboration. One is the lower layer than the other. So if you think of the bottom, the Schneider or the Siemens and the semiconductor industry, the applied materials and accelerism, they make the stuff that make things, Right. And then above that are the actual manufacturers, of which there are many hundreds of thousands around the world. There's a collaboration between them all the time. And depending on the industry, that collaboration is very much bottlenecked. And it's bottlenecked because there are experts from both sides, but they're experts about different things. And so typically the way the process works is that you need to sort of put these experts together. You and I are talking and so on. We have to schedule a time. And let's say there's a lot more of me than there is of you. And so now we're bottlenecked by your numbers, not just your time. If there's a way somehow to capture the extremely rare and valuable knowledge that you and a few of you know, so that you can interact with me on the upper layer. So instead of having to schedule time with you, I can schedule time with a virtual you, right? And so AI can help. You can now see the beginnings of what GPT and JetGPT and, of course, Google has other models and so on. Lambda, Facebook now has Llama. I think that's going to create an explosion of opportunities and say, let's capture, maybe not all, but some of your knowledge so that customers of yours, like me, can on the other side, you know, only need you 10% of the time. 
the other 90% of the time I can I can interact with the virtual you. And so you can see that sort of unleashes amazing productivity when I'm trying to do process optimization, even when I'm trying to diagnose, okay, what the hell went wrong with that particular piece of equipment, right? That'll in turn then make the whole process, the whole, the whole loop a lot faster. How do you think manufacturing leaders today, you know, the, the CEOs and presidents and owners of kind of midsize American manufacturing companies, how do they kind of stay ahead or get out ahead of this or at least keep pace with all the change? You know, how do you just, what sort of professional development or learning needs to be happening right now if it's not already? Yeah, I think, again, there's advantages in the ability to use a piece of software like ours right, to capture the knowledge, even within one company. Right. Within one company, there's going to be some guy that really knows, put his hand on the manufacturing line and say, okay, this needs to be taken down for maintenance. How do you capture something like that and share with people that are just coming onto the workforce and having to learn apprenticeship style? I think that knowledge transfer can happen much more efficiently using tools like ours, even using ChatGPT directly. Right. Of course, it's much better to use a tool that is made for purpose. But I think as a user, what I'm getting at is just become a user of the technology first and foremost, right? Before you become, you don't need to become an AI expert. Technology is always like that, right? It's not all of us need to be the technology creator. It's the job of technology creator to provide the, the affordances, the user experience and so on for the specific needs. In fact, ChatGPT itself, if you think about it, ChatGPT strictly speaking, is not new technology. The underlying model, GPT, was released, I believe, six months before that. The exact same model was released six months before that. Only people like myself, you know, used it much. Most of the world didn't know or didn't care about it. But then they just simply put, in simple terms, they put a chat interface in front of it. That's it, a very thin layer. Sam Altman himself says, that's a horrible product, the CEO of OpenAI. (laughs) And yet that very thin layer, that user experience made it accessible to 1 million people within five days, right? So I think perhaps the, the, the main call to action is to be familiar with the technology as a user and then think about ways, you know, tools that emerging that you can take advantage of. Good advice. Christopher, is there anything I didn't ask you about that you'd like to add to our conversation today? Maybe I'll put in a, a word for a symposium that's coming up in our field. It's called K-First World, Knowledge First World, not the first symposium at Stanford. The really interesting thing about it is conversations like the one you and I are having are actually quite rare in the AI world. The most exciting stuff, the one that captured the most people's attention is still very much what, what I call this digital AI. In effect, because it's the low-hanging fruit is the easier stuff, right? But when you deal with manufacturing equipment, when you deal with quality, when you deal with physical things, when you deal with safety and so on, that's harder. And the first K-First Symposium was last November. It was just 100 people, manufacturing executives, automotive, and so on. I remember there's a gentleman, Dr. Chetan Gupta from Hitachi. He runs industrial AI globally for Hitachi. And I said, he said, I love this so much. After I come here, I don't want to go to any other AI conference. Right. Because I'm among my people. (laughs) So it is a a small but very large growing, you know, the industrial economy is $25 trillion. It's it's much larger than anything else, but we don't think about it, right? Because it's harder to do. So anyway, the knowledge first world, the URL is k1st.world is a gathering of 
government leaders, business leaders, executives, and so on, that have been trying, succeeding, also failing at applying AI to the physical world. And we're there to share lessons, you know, what we learned. Of course, I talk about a lot of what I'm doing here is, is what I've learned in the last five years. So, yep, K-First World, this October 2023. It sounds like a great event. Thanks for sharing. Great conversation today, Christopher. I appreciate you doing this. And can you tell our audience where they can get in touch with you and learn more about Itomatic? My company, Itomatic, is like automatic, but starting with AI. So you spell automatic, but AI, automatic. Itomatic.com. I think you can see interesting materials there. You can find a way to contact me there as well. Beautiful. Perfect. Christopher, thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. Awesome. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.